come and we're going to have a great time. Amen? All right. James 4.8. Let's get into that. That verse of scripture. James 4.8 says, draw near to God. How many want to be closer to God? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And today what I want to teach you is how to draw near to God. How do you do it? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the New Testament. Of course, we live in the New Covenant. So we, we uh, you know, if you spend all your time in the Old Testament, um, uh, you realize the Old Testament was for spiritually dead folk. Remember that? You understand that? But we're under a new covenant with better promises. But yet we still need to understand the Old Testament because without a working knowledge of the Old Testament, you, you really can't understand the New Testament. And so what I'm going to do is use New Testament scriptures today to explain the Old Testament tabernacle. And in so doing, it will show us how to draw close to God. I don't want to just be a Christian I want to be a Christian that's close to God. I don't want to just miss hell and make heaven. Now, if that's all you get, that's a good deal. But I would like to be close to God. How about you? Do you know most Christians aren't close to God? Did you know that? Do you know that? Most of them aren't. Well, you'll see it here as we go. Now, I've got three pictures. Picture number one was the camp of the Israelites. And... um, Uh, You know, Moses, when they were out in the wilderness and God gave, see, God gave Moses the the tabernacle. And a lot of people don't realize that what God gave Moses was just a picture of what actually is in heaven. And, And when you go to heaven, if you know Jesus is your savior, you go to heaven one of these days. Either through the rapture or if we, the Lord doesn't come in our lifetime and we go by way of the grave. When you get to heaven and you approach the throne of God, you're going to see what it is we're going to look at today. Because what we're looking at is just a copy of what is actually in heaven. Anyway, this is the camp of the Israelites. And I, I thought we'd put this picture up first of all. Because if you were able to look down from a satellite view or got up in a helicopter or an airplane and flew over the camp of Israel, uh, and you look down, now this is in the Old Testament, you look down, I'm going to give you a little hint. I wonder what you'd see. A what? A cross. Did you know that Jesus is seen on just about every page of the Old Testament? Now, having said that, if we were to narrow in, you see where this, this glory cloud here? Uh, it was a it was a fire by uh, night and a cloud by day and so on. Right here, if we center in right in there, that's where the tabernacle was. That's what we're going to study about today. So they'll put picture number two up there now. And there you have a. Now we've kind of come in closer. I wonder is there is there a way to dim the lights down just a touch? I don't know if there is. Is there so that we could maybe see a little bit better? But here's the tabernacle right in here. And, uh, of course, you had the, the gates, uh, I'm sorry, the walls here, the walls, and there's the gate, you know, and then these different articles of uh, called furniture we'll see. And uh, this was known as the tabernacle. And, uh, and then picture number three, if we could throw three up there, it just, we pulled back the, 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 the covering here and we're able to see inside. 
And what, what I want to point you to is basically uh, there's the gate, okay, and there's the altar, okay, and there's the laver. I'm going through these real quick now, but we'll get into them more as we go. And then there was a was an opening here. And then on the inside, you have the menorah or the lamp stand. On the other side, the table of showbread. And up here, you have the incense altar. And then there was another smaller opening yet that went in into what is known. This out here is the holy place. In here was the holy of, of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. And that's where that the glory is coming down. That's where uh, the presence of God was. And uh, that's where I want to live. How about you? That's where I want to live. Now, uh, for the purposes of this study, everything outside this white fence, everything outside this white fence for the purposes of the study today will represent the world lost without Christ. Okay? Lost without Christ. Everything outside this white fence. That's, that's where the sinners dwell, we'll say. Okay? So, uh, how many want to miss hell and make heaven? Okay, so so we've got to somehow or another we've got to get inside this white white fence. Now there was only one way in, and it was right here. It's the gate. Now I'm ahead of myself because this is so in my heart. Let me give you some scripture. We'll come back and go through. Go to Hebrews the ninth, ninth chapter in the first verse. Anybody interested in this today? I think you'll see it's. It, Phenomenally interesting, but let me just get into it here. Uh, Hebrews 9, then indeed, now uh, the writer of Hebrews, I believe the Apostle Paul, writes and says, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Now he's just showing us the... the, the uh, Further in pieces here. He's not talking about the gate and, and the altar and the laver here. But nonetheless, verse 3, And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all. Because in verse 2 he talks about the lampstand, the table, the showbread, and so on. Then verse 3, Behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot and the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these we can't speak in detail now. Now, Paul didn't have time to speak in detail about it at this point, but we're going to speak in detail of it this morning. Now, if you would, go to uh, uh, Hebrews 6, verse 1. And... Uh, Notice what the Bible says here. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Now, what we're reading here now is I'm going to show you what must first happen in order to draw near to God. Hebrews 6.1. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let's go on to perfection or maturity. Not laying again the foundation of, what's that next word? Repentance from dead works and... Faith toward God. Now, if we could go back to picture number number one, uh, number two, picture number two. I'm going to put Ed to work here today. He's going to have to be bouncing back and forth. But picture number two. Now, what do we say? If you're outside that white fence, you're known as a sinner. You're lost without Christ going to hell. How many of you know hell's a real place? 
You know the dumbest thing anybody ever did is go to hell? How many know that everybody that's in hell right now is out of the will of God? Yet they'll be there for eternity without end. And all they had to do was repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Simplest thing you can do. Can you see why it's the dumbest thing anybody ever did is go to hell? All you have to do is repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus. So how do you begin to draw near to God if you're outside this fence? You have to say repent and then say have faith. Repent and have faith. And actually to get into this, to, to get into this interior part of this white fence, notice there was only one way in. Say one way. There's only one way in and it's that gate right there. Only one way in and it's that gate right there. Now, now uh, if you would... Leave that uh, gate. Leave that. Leave that picture up there. This is a gate of repentance. And the interesting thing: Do you notice that that color of that gate is different than the rest of it, the rest of the fence? That was known as a beautiful gate. It it was beautiful. It would draw people to it. It would it would get people's attention. And did you know that the Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to? Repentance. And so, so this gate here was a gate of repentance. It drew people's attention. It was beautiful. And uh, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And again, notice, as I've already said, there was only one gate. Only one gate. And in, in John 10 verse 9, Jesus said, I'll read out of the NIV. He said, I am the what? The what? I am the... Now read it in the NIV now. I am the what? I'm the what? The gate. Now other versions say I am the way. So either, either way you want to read it is fine. But Jesus is the way. He's the gate. Whoever enters through me will be... Will be what? Will be saved. Now let's go back to that picture. We're going to be going back and forth. So what does this gate represent? It represents Jesus, doesn't it? And it represents salvation through Christ, doesn't it? Right? He's the gate. There's no other way to get into this, 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 this uh, inside these walls except that right there. Just listen to this. Leave the picture up. I am the, Jesus said in John 14, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are there many ways that lead to God? Yes or no? No. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. Will, will Muhammad get you to God? No. You need to know Allah and Jehovah are not the same. You need to know that. You understand that? And when I say Jehovah, I'm not talking about the Jehovah of the Jehovah's Witnesses either. How many of you know that's a cult? I'm talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm talking about Elohim, Yahweh. I'm talking about the God of the Old Testament. I'm talking about the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? And Jesus is the only way to God. There is no other way to access Him. There's only one gate. 
There's only one way. Jesus also said in another passage of scripture, just listen to this, leave the picture up please. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So this gate, you need to know something about this gate. This gate right here, representative of Jesus... And you can see Jesus in, in everything in this tabernacle. But this gate was wide, and, listen to me, it was wide enough that whosoever will could come. But it was narrow enough so that there would be no accidental entries. How many of you know you don't get saved by accident? You get saved on purpose when you what? Repent of your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You Okay. So that was the only way to get inside that court was through that gate. Now, once inside, once somebody repented and they, and, they, and, and they got inside that gate, the next thing that faced them was this altar. And that's where the animals were slaughtered. That was known as the altar. Let me just read you a little bit about it while you look at that picture. Listen. An altar is a high place for the sacrifice or slaughter of an animal. It's a place where animals were slaughtered and sacrificed and blood flowed. There was blood flowing in here all the time. Blood. The altar, this altar right here, it stood raised on a mound of earth higher than its surrounding Furniture, all these other pieces that we, you know, the lampstand and the showbread and the brazen labor and all. It's called furniture. But this altar right here, see, when you came in that gate, you ran right into that altar. And that altar was, it was elevated. It was on a raised mound of earth, higher than the other furniture. And this is a picture of Christ, our sacrifice, lifted up on a cross. Was Jesus lifted up on a cross? And that's why that altar was lifted up. It was raised up. Because Jesus would be raised up on a cross many thousands of years later. Now, also, it's something interesting. This altar right here, all of the other pieces of the furniture, the brazen laver and the lampstand and the showbread table and the incense altar and the Ark of the Covenant... This altar was big enough where you could put all the other pieces of furniture inside of it. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means this. All the blessings and aspects of a Christian's life are encompassed in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That'd be a good place to say amen. This altar was inseparable from this gate. It was inseparable from that gate. You could not get to that altar without going through this gate and this was a gate of what repentance you cannot come to christ without repentance preachers that just preach believe on the lord jesus christ without calling you to repentance are not telling you the whole story when jesus first opened his mouth in his ministry what's the first thing came out of his mouth repent we must be to get to jesus you must first what repent Most pulpits in this nation today are not preaching a message of repentance. We must repent. 
and then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I just said? It's a whole lot easier to just have a mental experience with Jesus and think you're going to heaven. Have you ever seen people, they'll come forward in a church and they'll supposedly give their heart to the Lord Jesus, but then you never see a change in their life? See, those folks, I mean, you never see a change, ever. Years come and go, you know. How many of you know when we get saved, we, we're, God has a lot of work to do on us yet? We'll talk about that in a minute when we get to that labor. But, but if you don't ever see a change in somebody's life, I'll guarantee you this. They had a mental experience with Jesus and not a heart experience. You can't have a heart experience with Jesus unless you repent. Do you hear what I just said? Got to be repentance. Repentance from dead works. Right here, that's a gate of repentance. And then you run into that altar where the animals were slaughtered, the blood flowed. And that, 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 that right there is a type of the cross of Calvary. So when somebody out here repented, came through that gate, ran into that altar and had faith, they got saved. And did you know, and listen to this because this is one of the most important statements I'm going to make today. Most Christians, and I've been doing this a long time, over 30, 35 years now, one way or another. Most Christians that I've dealt with over the many, many, many years, they come through the gate, they come to the altar, they repent, they come to the cross of Christ, they get saved, and they spend the rest of their Christian life out here. Baby Christians, they stay right out here. How many of you know that beats going to hell? Huh? Does that beat going to hell? But most Christians that I've run into over the many years, they're out here as a sinner. They repent. They come through the gate. They come to the cross of Christ. They place their faith in the Lord Jesus. Yet, And they get saved. They're going to miss hell make heaven. But they stay baby Christians the rest of their life. They die and go to heaven one day. And thank God it beats going to hell. That's where my mother lived her entire life. Right out here. Once she got saved, she never... she. Thank God she's in heaven. How many of you know that beats going to hell? But I don't know about you, but I don't want to just make heaven. I like to walk close to God here on the earth. How about you? I really, really would. How many, how many of you would like to know how to walk close to God? All right. Well, in order to walk close to God, you're going to have to move on up to this next piece right here. Which is known as the brazen laver. And I think if we went to that picture number three, it might show it better. See that laver there? See, here's the gate. There's the altar. And now that's the laver. Now let me talk, talk to you about that laver just a little bit. Because so many Christians never make it to the laver. This laver, it was like a basin. It was made out of the bronze mirrors uh, of the Israelite women. And it contained water. Realize, say water. See, right here was the shedding of the blood. Right here there was water. Blood, water. Now, and, and just so you know, in case you, you, you've lost track, where are we trying to get to up here? We're trying to get up to this. Ark. That's where we want to live our lives, up there. 
That's where the power of God is. That's where the people get healed of cancer. That's where the, the, the that, that's where that's where depression leaves, and that's where you can live good days on the earth. You hear me? That's where we want to. That's where we want to get to. Now, this laver right here, this laver, was made out of the mirrors, bronze mirrors of the Israelite women, and it was for washing of the priests' hands and feet before they could enter. This holy place up here. See, this was the holy place. And then back here was the holy of holies. But you see, they had to come through the gate, go to the altar where the blood was. And then they had to go to the laver where the water is. And that laver, that basin, was made out of mirrors. And this laver, if you're taking notes, is symbolic of the word of God. It's symbolic of the word of God. In the book of James, if you read it, you would see that in the book of James, it likens the word of God to a mirror. And also, you can uh, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, and they'll throw that on the screen and they'll leave the picture for a minute. Let's start middle way through that verse. It says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of what? Water by the what? By the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. Let's go back to the picture if we could. Number, 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 uh, uh, there you go. So, let's see how sharp you are. What's this symbolic of? The Word of God. And see, so the priests would come in, they'd come in the gate, they'd go to the altar here, and they the blood, that's where the blood was. And then up here, there was the washing. They'd wash themselves. What's this? Now, let's see how sharp you are. This is a gate of what? It starts with an R. This right here represented the cross, didn't it? And what does this represent? The Word of God. You know, most Christians that I've dealt with over the years, they never do get into the Word of God. I remember when I first got saved, I'd go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know where my Bible stayed in between Sunday morning and Sunday night? It stayed in my car. Do you know where my Bible stayed between Sunday night and Wednesday night? It stayed in my car. Do you know where the Bible stayed between Wednesday night and Sunday morning? It stayed in my car. I never read it. I just went to church and sat there. Now, thank God I was in church. I was saved. But I never did get up to the laver. It wasn't until I got up to the laver that I started maturing as a Christian. You can't mature as a Christian without the Word of God. Without the Word of God, you're just going to stay a baby Christian. Did you hear me? You see, it's the Word of God that removes the spots and the wrinkles. How many of you know when you get saved, you get changed, but you still have some spots and wrinkles, don't you? You know what I mean by that? You might still be a gossip. You might still not do things you should do, or do things you shouldn't do. You understand what I'm saying? How many of you, after you got saved, had some spots and wrinkles still? You were still rough around the edges. You might cuss once in a while or tell a lie. Is that right? But thank God we can come to this labor. And as we spend time around that labor, around the word of God, the word of God 
We look into it. It's like a mirror. We see ourselves. We see that we're not measuring up. And then the word of God begins to move those, remove those spots and wrinkles and begins to make us a glorious church. Do you get what I'm saying? How many get what I'm saying? We need the word of God. That's why if you come here to this church, this is what you're going to get. The word of God. That's what you need. Now look, I'm a good storyteller. I could stand up here and tell you stories. I could make you laugh. I could tell jokes real good. I could make you laugh. Ha 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 ha. I could do it. I could turn this church, if I remove the teaching of the word of God, I could tell stories, tell jokes, give you, I'd entertain you real good. And I could throw in a little word here or there just to say we're Bible based. Is that what you want? I could come in, bounce on a trampoline. I could come in on a... How many likes to see me bounce on a trampoline? I could come in on a... What do they do those slot where you slide down the... I could do a zip line. I dress up like a clown. I ride in on an elephant. It's one of the reasons the nation is in the trouble that it's in. The the church needs to have the word of God being thundered from the pulpit, taught from the pulpit. Can anybody say amen? Amen. And let me tell you, and I'm going to say this, and and if this slaps you upside the head, I I hope it does because you need it. If you're bored by this today, you need to check up and see if you're saved. Do you hear what I just said? Because saved people that really are hungry for God is going to eat this kind of a message up. Just eat it, love it. Did you hear what I just said? I want you to... How many has ever heard of 1 John 1, 9? Anybody have a clue what that says? I bet Ed could throw that on the screen for us. What does that say? Let's read it together. If we... Confess our sins. He is to forgive us our and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's throw that picture back up if we could. Number, number, that's always good to look at that. There you go. Think of this. Think of this right here as John 3.16. And think of this as 1 John 1.9. Now, you don't have to put John 3.16 up there. We're going to leave that picture there and we're going to quote it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. With that picture there, think of this as John 3.16. That's where the sinner comes to get saved. Think of this as 1 John 1.9. How many has ever sinned since they've been saved? Besides me. You don't have to, but I've, I've, I've messed up. Has anybody ever messed up besides me? 
So when you as a Christian, see as a sinner, you need to come to the cross. But when, when, when you as a Christian mess up, you don't need to go back to the cross and get saved again. You're already saved, but what do you need to do? You need to go to the word of God, to this labor, and confess your sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that if you want to mature and get closer to the presence of God back here, you need the word of God in your life. You need the word of God. If you don't get to the word of God, you're going to stay a baby Christian all the days of your life. You'll die and go to heaven. Beats going to hell. But you never will have all that God wants you to have. Amen? Now, there's some other... Verses that we could put in, but for the sake of time, I'm going to, Ed, I'm going to skip a few verses just for the sake of time. Um, because I've got in what I told them what I needed to tell them. Now, now, uh, look at this here. You see, now I don't have the, the dimensions, I have them in my other notes, but you see how wide that is? See that? As you moved on up here, there was another opening up here that was not quite as wide as this. And then as you move on in here, there was another opening up here by this veil that was narrower yet, which indicates more discipline. You see, this was this was fairly wide. We talked about that. Then we got the cross. We got the word of God. Then there was an opening here that was less wide than that. And then as we get up here, there was an opening that was smaller yet. What does that symbolize? It symbolizes that it, the closer you get to God, the more discipline it takes. You need to understand who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the Almighty. When you go to heaven, if you think you're just going to go to heaven and you're just going to go up to the throne of God and just act any old way, you've got another thing coming. How many of you could go see the queen and just act any way you wanted to act? They tell you what you're going to do and what you're not going to do before you go in to see her. Is that right? How about the president? You go see the president. You think you're going to act any old way? They're going to tell you what you can do and can't do in the presence of the president. Well, how many of you know that's true for God too? And I tell you what, and you listen to me. Those priests did not approach God. There was a prescribed way to do it. And they did it with absolute respect. And they followed all the rules and regulations. Because if they didn't, guess what would happen to them? They would fall down. Now, with that in mind, I want you to look at this verse, John eight thirty one. Now, Ed's going to throw that up there. You're doing a tremendous job back there, Ed. Notice this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. Now look, how do you get saved? By believing in Jesus. So we could say he he was talking to these saved people. And he said, if you abide in my word, you are what? My disciples. You see that word disciple means disciplined ones. You see, all believers are not disciples. I want to be a disciple of Christ. How about you? See, but there's a difference between believers and... And disciples. Now let's go back to that picture. He said, if you abide my word, then you're my disciples indeed. We'll go back to picture three. See, the believers are out here. They're out here. The believers. But 
if you want to be a disciple, you need to come on up here to the word of God. And notice, then you become a disciple, a disciplined one. And now you're ready to go on into this next opening where we're going to have the, the, uh, 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 the, the candlestick and the showbread. And it's fascinating when you look at this. And alas, most, most Christians don't ever get, look at this. Revelation 1 verse 9. I'm going to take a little time here. I want you to get this. Revelation 1 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that's called Patmos for the word of, for the what? For the word of God, testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, heard behind me a voice as of a trumpet. Saying that's Jesus behind him. You want to know what Jesus sounds like? Because it sounds like a trumpet. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And then he lists them. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Verse 12. How many of them? And in the midst of the seven lampstands, notice in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. That would be Jesus. And then it tells you how he was clothed. Now look at verse 20. Now, now we see here, Jesus tells us, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The stars were the angels or the pastors of the churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the what? So the lampstand, if we could go back to that third picture... There you go. You see that? See that? That was the lampstand. And there were seven of these candlesticks. Three on one side, three on the other. What's three plus three? Number of man is six. And then that middle candlestick, you can't really see it here so well, but it was elevated above the three on the one side and the three on the other. Now, with that having been said, that candlestick Jesus told us what it represents what does it represent it represents the local church real loud say local church you can't get as close to God as you need to be unless you are involved in the local church God has a local church for everybody and he has an assignment in that local church for everybody you don't pick your church God picks your church for you. You don't pick your pastor. God picks your pastor for you. 90%, that, that's, that's not right. 98, no, that's not right. Not 90, that's not right. 99.9, that's probably closer, of people, Christians now, don't go to the church that God told them to go to. They don't even seek God at all. They go because their friend goes there. But how many of you know your friend's pastor doesn't have the word of God that you need to he- need to hear? Your pastor does. Or they'll go because there's some kind of a program at that church. Or they'll go because there's some kind of entertainment at that church. You don't pick your church. God picks your church. Now, there's nothing wrong with going trying some churches out, you know, and seeing what's going on. But ultimately... You seek God and you let Him make the final call on where you go to church. Most Christians don't do that. 
I've been doing this a long time. Most Christians don't do that. And I'll tell you something else. You don't leave that local church until God tells you to leave. Well, the pastor said something that stepped on my toes. I'm going to leave. Did God tell you to leave? How do you know if the pastor stepped on your toes, if he's really flowing with the Holy Ghost, if he's flowing with the Holy Ghost, you needed your toes stepped on. And the same Jesus that steps on toes through a man of God or a woman of God will uh, turn around and heal him if you'll, if you'll stay where you're supposed to be. Can you say amen? And then you wonder why the nation's so goofed up. Most people aren't even in the, Christians aren't even in the church they're supposed to be in. Did you hear what I just said? Think about that. What's that lampstand symbolic of? The local church. Does every Christian have a local church? Yeah. And, and does every, every Christian have a pastor that they're assigned to? Yes. And do you choose your church or does God? You seek God and let him. He'll lead you through that peace on the inside. Or lack thereof. Now listen to this. It's interesting that this lampstand was made out of pure gold and it was beaten into that form that it's in right now. That, see that? That took, that took the Holy Ghost, came on a certain guy and he beat it and he, it came out looking like a candlestick. Listen to this. The church came into existence as a result of the beating of Jesus Christ. Is that right? There were seven stems. Three on one side, three on the other. We pointed that out. Six is the number of man. The stem in the middle was elevated. The stem in the listen. Oh, this is good. Stem in the middle is elevated. Listen, in the local church, Jesus is the central focus, and he should be exalted above everything else, including people, personalities, and programs. Can you say Amen? If, if you see a church and you've got a personality that's being pr- promoted or a, a pastor is if you, it, it being promoted or they're promoting themselves or talking about themselves all the time, you need to get out of that place. You need to go somewhere where the, and if you're going where God's telling you, he's going to have you somewhere where the man, the pastor is not being elevated, but that everything is central, is, is focuses around somebody. I put his name right up there. What is his name? And who is Lord? Jesus. If you come to this church, you're not going to hear too much about me, my wife, or anybody else. We, we put somebody up above everybody else, and his name is Jesus. Did you hear me? Now, over here, this showbread table, it, and, and I, I won't get into all the scriptures on that for the sake of time, but just take my word for it. This has to do with fellowship. Real loud say fellowship. Now, what does that indicate? Fellowship with God and fellowship with the saints. How many of you know that when you attend the local church, you should be in fellowship with God and with one another? It's very important. Okay? You alright? So let's do a quick review. Gate of repentance. You come to the cross. Then you get into the Word of God, brings you up here, you come in, you get, you get involved in the local church, you find out what God has you doing, you're doing something in the local church, you're fellowshipping with God, you're fellowshipping with the saints, and that brings you right up to, to this altar of incense. We're almost ready to get up close to God, real close to Him. This altar of incense, let me give you a scripture on that. It's Revelation 8.3. I'm almost done here. Give me, give me about, about, about ten minutes and we'll, we'll, we'll be done. 
Revelation 8.3. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now, now actually, John was seeing this in heaven. Remember, I told you that this picture here, we can go back to the picture, is, uh, well, well, leave that up there, I'm sorry. Another angel, having golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was much, that he should offer it with the, with the what, what is this, what does this altar represent? The prayers of the, upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now let's go back to that picture. This altar of incense, see John was seeing it up in heaven, but this right here, God had Moses make it look just like the one in heaven. This altar of incense, what do you think that represents? That represents the prayers. It's a prayer life. Realize, say prayer life. Now, leave that picture up if you would. Do you know that, well, I don't want to sound negative or down, but I'm just, no false news here. I'm just telling you what I've observed over the many years. Did you know that most Christians don't have much of a prayer life, if any? You know, one reason I know that is because whenever over the many years, this church and, and many other churches that I could talk about, when you call a prayer meeting, almost nobody shows up. You can't have the power of God in your life apart from prayer. You'll never see the power of God apart from prayer. Not to any, not, not, I mean, God may just out of His great mercy just, just, you see it in the ministry of Jesus. Just sometimes, you know, he just, just do something, bless somebody. But most of the time, you know, took prayer. Realize, say prayer. You look at the early church again and again as they went to prayer, as they went to prayer. You look at the ministry of Jesus as he went to prayer, as he went to prayer. Do you know Jesus, why did Jesus have such a powerful ministry? Well, he's the son of God, all right, but did you know he didn't operate in the earth as the son of God? He operated in the earth, although he was God. He operated as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. And you look at Jesus, he had that power because while everybody else was going to their own house, doing their own thing, he went up on the mountain. Or he went to a secluded place. Realize, say prayer. Prayer. Early church. Power in the early church. They went to prayer. They went to prayer. They went to prayer. Why don't you see much power in this church today in the United States? Not much prayer going on. If you want to get close to God, you must have a prayer life. Right there. That brings you right up in front of the Holy of Holies. Prayer life. Did you know that this, this, this altar of incense was the smallest of these pieces of furniture? It was smaller than the lampstand, the showbread, the labor, the, this altar out here. What does that indicate? That your prayers don't have to be big to be powerful. Some of the most powerful prayers in the Bible were not long prayers. Not eloquent at all. But people prayed. Now, as I close the message, I'm going to give you some observations I've made over the years. As I've already stated, so many Christians live their life out here in this, this what we'd call, I guess, the outer court out here. And they never do get to the Word of God. We've talked about that. 
But listen to this. This is interesting. Some Christians will go to this labor here. What does that represent? Does anybody remember? They'll go, they'll go to the Word of God. But have you ever heard anybody say, I don't need to go to church? I, I can just stay home and watch something on television or listen to a CD or a podcast or something. How many of you know that person, though they may have the Word of God, they never do get up here where God wants them. See, God wants us up there inside that Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the power of God is. You can't get up there without involvement in the local church. A lot of people, they, they repent, they place their faith in Jesus, they get up, they get in the Word of God, all right. But they don't get involved in the local church and they never do have the power of God in their life like they should. Now watch this one. Some Christians, they, they, they don't, now, now, now listen carefully, say I'm listening. A lot of Christians that I've met and dealt with over the years, they don't want the Word of God. They don't want, they don't want to sit and listen to the Word of God. They don't want to study the Word of God. Yet they want to go to church and they want to fellowship with the saints. They want to go to church. They want to fellowship with the saints. Did you know if you go to church and fellowship with the saints but you don't have the Word of God involved, you don't have anything more than a social club or an entertainment center? And if you want to know why this nation has moved away from God the way that it has, one of the main reasons I'm telling you right now is that you've got too many churches in this nation. And I'm not here to criticize. I'm just telling you what I've observed. You've got, you've got people going to church and there's a lot of eating donuts and a lot of drinking a lot of coffee and chatting and going on and that's all good and fine. Fine. Wonderful. But if you don't have the word of God, you've got nothing more than a social club and an entertainment center. Do you hear what I just said? As I've already said, few Christians go to this this incense altar of prayer. We've seen that. I've lived that. I've observed that. I've also noticed... That there's a lot of people, Christians that I've met over the years, they do want to go to prayer, all right, but they don't do it with the Word of God. Did you know if you go to prayer without the Word of God, you're going to be praying amiss? We need all of these. We need to repent, believe on the Lord Jesus at Calvary, the cross, get into the Word of God, discipline ourselves, be in the local church, fellowship, you know. Be a people of prayer and move on in to that holy of holies. I tell you what, you get on in there, you've got the power of God. And I'm going to close with a scripture that in Acts 2 verse 40 should knock your socks off. Because this one verse, these these three verses I guess, three or four verses summarize all this. Watch this, now watch this. This is the early church. We looked at an Old Testament type, but now we're reading from the New Testament. We're reading from the book of Acts where we should be living. Now let's see how smart you are. Let's see if you got this. Acts 2 verse 40. And with many other words, he, that's Peter, testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. 
Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now let me ask you right here. Did these people get saved? So, if we could throw that picture back up there, that we just had up, and then we'll come back to Acts. <clears throat> these people we just read about, it says... It says they were saved. Did they? Is it clear they repented and they believed on the Lord Jesus? Okay, you're good with that. So what have we seen right right so far here in in Acts two? We've seen what the gate and the altar. You okay? Now let's go back to Acts two verse forty two. Ed, you're going to be busy with switching back and forth now. You're doing great. Verse 42, and they, what did they do? They did what? They continued steadfastly in what? Now let's stop at the apostles' doctrine. Let's go back to the picture. They continued steadfastly in what? That'd be the teaching of the word, wouldn't it? You see that? So this group of people that we're reading about in Acts, they repented and believed, they got saved, and now they're continuing in the apostles' doctrine. The word of God, isn't it? Okay, now let's go back to verse 42. So right after the apostles' doctrine, what does it say? And fellowship... And in breaking of bread, and in what? So, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Let's go back to the picture. So, in fellowship and breaking of bread, that'd be right there, that showbread table. And they're clearly assembled together. So, you got the lampstand, right? And in what? Do you see that? Powerful, isn't it? Is that powerful? And then verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul and many what? Wonders and signs were done through the apostles' hands. Does that take power? Fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles' hands. Now we're going to go to the picture and then come back to this verse. Go to the picture again. You see, did, did you see all parts of that in, that in those verses? The gate, the cross, the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, all that in the church. Prayers that brought them right, right upside, right out in front of this, all, this Ark of the Covenant. And... Then you saw the signs and the wonders, didn't you? Didn't you? Yeah. You see how those verses, it's for us today, isn't it? This message is for us today, isn't it? Now go back to verse 43. And look at those first two words. Then what? Then what? Fear, reverence, respect came upon every soul. 
the church, including all of us, talking to you, talking to me, we all need to get a revelation of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has been lost in this nation. This nation is not a God-fearing nation anymore. People that fear the Lord live right, don't they? People that fear the Lord come to church regular, don't they? People that fear the Lord watch what comes out of their mouths, don't they? People that fear the Lord put God first in everything, don't they? And the fear of the Lord, my prayer is that, how many of you know just because Donald Trump's the president doesn't mean that everything's going to be wonderful? This nation still has a lot of trouble, doesn't it? The fear of the Lord needs to fall on the pulpits of the... And then that fear needs to extend out into the congregation. I'm talking about this one and everyone that's in the, in the nation. And then the fear of the Lord from there. See, that's how it works. It comes through the, the pulpits, then to the people of the churches, and then out into the communities... See, everybody likes it when I start talking about how the, how the pulpit needs to change. But then they get a little nervous when I start pointing at you. But this church and every church in the nation needs a revelation of the fear of God. I said the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. This nation doesn't fear God anymore. Most churches don't fear God anymore. Most pastors don't fear God anymore. Did you hear what I just said? Churches ought to be, they ought, they shouldn't be entertainment services and centers. They shouldn't be joke telling places. Nothing wrong with telling a joke once in a while, but you understand what I'm saying? It ought to be the Word of God. Did you hear me? You want to know how come we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people healed by the power of God? People healed the cancer. Ears pop, all these different things over there. You know how we've had that through the teaching of the Word of God and the fear of the Lord. But I tell you what, we all, and it's Jesus is the healer, but we need uh, the fear of the Lord. So we're, stand with me, we're going to pray, and then we'll dismiss. I hope you got something out of this today. Just grab hands with the person next to you. If your spouse is there, grab hands with your spouse. Just have a brief word of prayer here. Yeah, if you're if you, yeah, if you fear the Lord, you'll be a person.